Hallelujah. He's worthy tonight, is he not, church? Hallelujah. Can we give him a hand clap of praise tonight? Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Almighty God. Hallelujah. You are worthy tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Did you appreciate the word this morning? Amen. That God's got a plan for everything in our lives. And it's by his mercy and by his grace that we're able to make it through the giants in our lives, those impossible things. Hallelujah. And he sets up those, those battles and those things that he brings us through as monuments to look back on and reflect on and remember his faithfulness. Amen. And that has to do a little bit with what I'm going to preach to you tonight about. But if you have your Bible tonight, could you turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. If you have it, say amen. If you ain't got it, say no, I don't. Amen. But first, first Thessalonians 5 and 19, just four words tonight. <laughs> Quench not the spirit. Amen. And that's the thought that I want to preach to you from is quench not the spirit. Amen. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask him to be with us? Oh, God, we want you to be in this service with us right now. Oh, Holy Ghost, we need you to come and illuminate your word to us. Hallelujah. Because, Lord, these words that we're reading, these words that I'm saying, Lord, they're just dead. They don't have any life. They don't have any value. But, Lord, it's when your Holy Ghost shows up, Lord, and he makes it alive in our heart. Lord, that seed of the word that's planted inside us, Lord, that begins to take growth whenever your spirit comes and waters it, Lord, and brings it into maturity, Lord, that's what we need tonight. Lord, we're looking for growth tonight. Lord, we're looking to grow in your grace, grow in your love, grow in your mercy. Lord, grow more to be like you tonight. Hallelujah. And we know that you're able to do it, and we know that you want to do it tonight, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, quench not the spirit. That's it. And Brother Darrell said, what do you want your title to be? I said, quench not the spirit. <laughs> I might as well take God's words because he's probably got the best words out of all of us. <laughs> Amen. But this, this text that we're drawing from tonight in 1 Thessalonians, all around this text, there's these, these little short commands, three, four-word commands that Paul gives kind of in rapid succession of one another. And you could really preach a sermon series just out of these few verses here because they're, they're real quick, they're real to the point, and they're packed full of good knowledge and powerful thoughts. Like just reading some around it, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. And everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Every single one of those things, you could preach a sermon in and of itself just on those few words. But we're looking tonight at verse 19, which says, quench not the spirit. And as any good uh, students of the word would do, immediately when they read, passage of scripture you immediately want to begin asking yourself questions why is that there what is it talking about quench what's it talking about the spirit what does it mean who's it written to and this is kind of some of the things that I'm learning in in college 
in my history class in looking at historical documents, kind of teaching us how to be historians in a little way. And it's whenever you come in contact with any kind of piece of historical literature or an object or, or an important document or a letter written to somebody, whatever it may be, you immediately want to start asking questions. <laughs> Who wrote this? When did they write it? Why did they write it? What's the purpose? What were they hoping to accomplish? Who's the people that they're writing it to? Why are they writing it at this point in time and not 10 years earlier or 10 years later? And so that's exactly what we want to do tonight when we're diving into the scripture is begin to ask why. What's it talking about? This quench, not the spirit. Because we recognize who the spirit is. We recognize the Holy Ghost, the third member of the Trinity. And we recognize that his work in our lives in drawing us to Christ, convicting, of us, convicting us of our sin. And we believe that, that when a person gets saved and they receive Christ, the Holy Ghost comes into, their, comes into their heart and begins conforming them into the person of Christ. Refining them to be more and more like him. And we don't want to stop that work at all. We don't want to stop his work from drawing us to Christ and drawing us to be more like him and empowering us. And much more so as Pentecostals who not only believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, but believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Should have got a few more amens on that one. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what we believe as a church. One of the foundational doctrines that this church was established on, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And there is nothing that we want to do to be able to quench that. We don't want to be a hindrance to that. We don't want to be a hindrance in a service to where God's not able to do what he would have done had our hearts not been in the right place. Amen. We don't want to be, we don't want to be that type of person. We want to be the person that allows the Spirit to do whatever he wants to do in our lives. Because the Spirit takes up residence inside the born-again believer. And just going back just quickly to last week, Something I touched on really quick, didn't spend a whole time, a lot of time there, is that we are now the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. We are now the tabernacle that God's Spirit is going to dwell in. Because we talked about last, last week, the tabernacle, and what that was. That it was going to be God's promise that he would dwell with Israel. If you remember last week, we talked about how he said, I want my tabernacle in the middle of my people. I want you to put these tribes on this side, these tribes on this side, these tribes over here, and these tribes over here. And I want you to put my tabernacle right in the middle of it. And if you remember, this was going to be a promise of God's dwelling place. Because up until this point, when God commands Israel to build the tabernacle, this is something that they've never heard of before. That God's presence was going to dwell with them right there. Because before, the only place that we see God's presence dwelling is in the garden with Adam. And on top of Mount Sinai, in that, in that great display of God's power, of that cloud and smoke and, 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 and thunder and the audible voice of God speaking to his people. And that's what they recognized the presence of God and where it dwelled, in the garden with Adam, on top of Mount Sinai. And now all of a sudden, God is saying, I want my presence to dwell right in the middle of my people. I have got to get my presence to my people. If you read the Bible, that is God's mission throughout everything. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 22. It's God getting his presence to his people. That's his heartbeat. I want to dwell with them. I want to have fellowship with them. I want to restore the relationship that they broke. Why? Because I want to have fellowship with them. I want communion with them. I want them to be able to be my tabernacles that host my spirit. And as New Testament born-again believers, we don't have an outward tabernacle anymore. It's not a physical place that you can go, but instead the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost is now inside of us. 
It's now taking up residency right here. And if we are going to allow him to do what he wants to do, we cannot stop his work from happening. Amen. I meant to get a fire extinguisher, but I forgot to bring out here and just set it on top of this pulpit and look at it. Because what does that do? That puts out a fire. And that's not what we want to do tonight. We want to let the Holy Ghost have free course, free reign inside of us to do whatever he wants to do. But before we become tabernacles, there's one more step that we got to take before we get there. Because you and I, we are not the tabernacle. Not at first, at least. Because you and I, we're not holy. <laughs> we're not pure. The tabernacle, it was holy and it was pure. <laughs> Amen. What this, the tabernacle was in the Old Testament was the place for God to dwell, but it also was a foreshadowing of who the person of Christ would be. And as you're looking through the tabernacle, there is all kinds of spiritual symbolism that point us to Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. He was the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. Because the word tabernacle, it simply just means to dwell. He will tabernacle in this building tonight. Why? Because his saints are here and he wants to dwell with his saints. But while Jesus was walking on the earth, it was him. He was right there. The tabernacle of God in flesh and bones, walking around, healing the sick, holding our, holding our babies, you know, preaching to us his good news, teaching us the ways of life. That's what he was doing here. Taking on our infirmities. That's what the tabernacle was doing. Because we read in the New Testament that in Christ was the fullness of of the Godhead bodily. Everything, the ultimate thought of God. The ultimate, everything that God thought about humanity, everything that God thought about the world, everything that God thought about redemption, that thought about sin, it all took place inside the person of Jesus Christ. He was our tabernacle. He was the dwelling place of God and he is our Lord and Savior. And because of him, and because he stepped in and took our place and took the judgment that we deserved and took the punishment that we deserved and instead he gives to us his righteousness while he takes our sin, now we are able to become the tabernacle. We are able to become the dwelling place of God. And if you are a born again believer tonight, the Holy Ghost lives inside of you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we don't want to do anything to hinder that work. We don't want to do anything to stop that work of him bringing us into the person of Christ. Like I said, that's his whole job. Don't stop him because that's his ultimate goal. If you stop him, you're never going to reach it. If you shut him down now, you're never going to reach the ultimate place that he's trying to bring you to. Why? Because he wants to make you more like him. Because he's the only way that leads to life. He's the only way that leads to eternal life. He's the only life that brings victory. It's when we become more and more like him. Amen. But it's important to look at who Paul is writing this to, to the Thessalonians. What does this church look like? Why is he saying this to them? And if we look back in the Bible, we can actually find this church and the very beginning of it. You look back in Acts 17, Paul on his second missionary journey comes to Thessalonica preaching the gospel. And whenever he comes to Thessalonica, it, the Bible says that he goes into the synagogue to preach the gospel and he's teaching the Jews and the Gentiles alike about Christ and how he has fulfilled all the scriptures that they are learning from right now and how he, he is the ultimate fulfillment of everything that was written down in the Old Testament. And I think it's amazing to see how God used that even in the first place because think about it, the Jews' natural dwelling place is not in Thessalonica, it's in Israel. 
So how do we get Jews from Israel all the way to Thessalonica? Well, hundreds of years earlier, there was a great dispersion of them. And they were scattered all and out throughout, all, all throughout the earth. And God had prophesied it. He had used his prophets to come to Israel and say, if you keep going down the path of your sin, I'm going to scatter you out in all the earth. And you're no longer going to have a home. And God prophesied that. And sure enough, it came, it came to pass. They didn't turn from their sin. They, did, they, they, they didn't even try to get out. They just kept going down the path that they were on. And God was true to his word. And he scattered them. And now these Jews that have set up a synagogue in Thessalonica and they already have enough knowledge in the Jews themselves and also some of the Gentiles to know what the scripture said, at least a little bit, to recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And that now all you have to do is place your faith totally on him and rely on his sacrifice and you can be saved. And I think it's amazing how God can take a broken situation and some people who were not where they needed to be and not where they needed, were, were, were supposed to be and scatter them all out in the earth and make it look like it was his plan all along. Because through them, God now has an avenue to preach the gospel. Because that's the kind of God that we can serve. That he can take absolutely anything that don't matter how messed up it is or how messed up it looks or how bad, it, bad off it is. He can take it and use it for his glory and make it look like that was his purpose and his plan all along. Why? Because that's just how good he can make it look. That's just what he can do with absolutely anything. So if you're a person here tonight and you feel like you've done too much and you've, and you've sinned against God way too much that he could never use your life or maybe it's just a certain aspect of your life. You think, well, I've already messed this up. There's no way that God can use it. Look at what God's done all throughout Scripture. It does not matter what you've done in your life. It don't even matter what you're doing right now. God can step in, and the moment that he steps in, he can take absolutely anything and use it for his glory. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful that I serve a God like that. But that's the, that's the city that, that Paul's coming to right now, the city of Thessalonica. It's all the way over in Greece. And while he's there, he begins to teach, teach them about Jesus Christ, about to teach them about their Lord and Savior who has taken away their sins. And while he's preaching this, all of a sudden, some of the Jews there don't like it at all. Because they didn't want to believe Jesus was the Messiah. They rejected all of that. So you know what they did? They got themselves together and they ran to the leaders of that city and said, you know what? There's some boys down here that are preaching about some Jesus. It's going against what Caesar said. They're preaching about some other king that ain't Caesar. That ain't Caesar. And you know what, he's, you know what they said about him? They said, these men and the message that they, have, they are preaching have turned the world upside down. <laughs> Hallelujah. There was a revival that was breaking out in Thessalonica because the gospel was being preached. Because that is the effect that the gospel will, be, will have wherever it is preached. We're going to see some people that reject it, but we're also going to see some people that accept it. And we know that God is for us and for the spreading of the gospel, and we're going to see him show up. And he's about to show up here in Thessalonica too, because they are experiencing revival. Why? Because the gospel has come to them. And it should be our mission as Christians to spread that gospel. Why? Because because just like they said, it'll turn the world upside down. Hallelujah. These weren't men coming with military might. They weren't coming with armies. They weren't coming with chariots. All they have was the message of the gospel and the words that their Lord had given them. And hallelujah, that's all we need tonight. Hallelujah. If we're going to make a difference in London, Kentucky, in Harlan, Kentucky, in Corbin, Kentucky, in Tennessee, in Illinois, in Ohio, no matter where it's at, it's going to be made a difference through the preaching of the gospel. Hallelujah. And so they're preaching that gospel. They're turning the world upside down. But also what they're saying is they are preaching about another king and his name is Jesus. 
They said they're, preach, he's, they're preaching about another king that ain't, ain't nothing like the Caesar king that we're serving. It ain't nothing about the emperor of Rome. It ain't nothing like him. It's a completely different king. And if you look in the, in the original Greek, that word another king, it ain't talking about just another earthly king. That word another means another of a different kind. Hallelujah. And that's what Jesus was because he wasn't a king like people were expecting. He wasn't coming to set up his kingdom here. Rather, he was coming to set up his heavenly kingdom that he was going to bring us to one day. Hallelujah. He was recruiting citizens. And he wasn't a king like Pharaoh who would come and put you in your place through military might. He wasn't trying to deliver them out from underneath even that Roman oppression. But he came to deliver us from our sin and our bondage. And that one day he would ultimately save us. He ain't anything like the earthly kings that we have down here today. It is, he is a completely different king with a completely different gospel hallelujah and that's the king that we're serving that's the king that we're preaching about tonight that's the king that we have placed our faith in and you might be asking this this Thessalonican church they're experiencing revival they're turning the world upside down why in the world would Paul write to them don't quench the spirit because it seems like if anybody should be serving the Lord with such passion and such fire and such emotion, it should be these people who are experiencing revival right now in Thessalonica. But he's writing them. Why? Because he understands something. Let's look a little bit deeper about what it means to quench the spirit. This word quench in the Greek, it's used a couple different times all throughout the New Testament. The first one is in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20. I believe you have that one. It says, a bruised Read, he shall not break in a smoking flax, he shall not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And this verse is talking about a prophecy in the Old Testament that Jesus would ultimately fulfill and is showing his, 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 uh, his meekness and his care and his, his feelings about humanity that is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But he uses that word quench in there. A, flo- a smoking flax, he shall not quench. Let's go on a little bit. A little bit further along to Matthew 25 and verse 8. And it says, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. Now notice, the word quench isn't in there, but the word gone out is. But in the Greek, there's no difference. It's the same exact word that was used back then. It means quench. It means the same thing, to go out. We see it used right here. Your oil has gone out. Talking about the ten, the ten, the ten virgin, the five wise and the five foolish who let their lamps go out. Let's go on a little further. Mark 9, 47 through 48. And if thine eye offend me, pluck it out, for it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hellfire. Next verse. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Amen. Next verse. In Ephesians 6 and 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, these verses we've just read, there's some examples that are positive, some examples that are negative. It's saying, A smoking flax you shall not quench. He won't put you out no matter how broken you are. That's a good news. But it's also talking about the flames of hell that are not quenched. It's talking about the foolish versions who let their lamps be quenched. And right here, another positive one talking about you take up this shield of faith, you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. But there's something in common that all of these verses have. It's talking about fire in every single one of them. Smoking flax was once on fire. Foolish virgins, they once had their lamps lit, 
with fire. <laughs> it's talking about hell and the torment there is like fire that's not ever going to be quenched. And these fiery darts of the enemy that the shield of faith is able to quench. And so every time it uses this word, it's in regards to fire. And that's what the, Paul is likening the Holy Spirit to in our life is fire. And he's saying, don't put that fire out. Because literally the word in, in Greek for quench is to put out a fire. That's literally what it means. And why, why, would, why would Paul liken the Holy Ghost to fire? Why would he liken it to a flame? Well, a flame, it speaks of purity and the work of the Holy Ghost in our life, purifying us, making us more like Christ, taking out our sin and replacing it with his righteousness. It speaks of power, power that we don't have in of ourselves, that the Holy Ghost is able to give us and able to impute to us that we can't find anywhere else except in his holy fire. It speaks of warmth to where our dark souls who have no life in them are all of a sudden brought to life in Christ through the gospel, through his Holy Spirit convicting our hearts, leading us into all truth. It speaks of light through every dark place in our life that all of a sudden through the light of the gospel, it's now evident of the sin in our life. It's evident of everything that's wrong in us and the Holy Ghost coming to show that to us and make us more like Christ. And Paul is admonishing this church right here. Do not put out the fire of God in your life. Now, something that I really want to drive home, home here and not, not confuse anybody tonight. This is not saying that we have power to weaken God. It's not saying that God loses power because God's omnipotent. We believe that. As a church, we believe that. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And so this quenching of the Spirit is not the Spirit becoming less powerful in our life, but the Spirit is always going to line itself up to the Word of God. Why? Because this is the breath of God. This is inspired. The word inspired means breathed into. And, in, and, and a lot of the times what the Holy Ghost is likened to is it's likened to fire and it's likened to wind. It's likened to breath. The Holy Ghost breathed this, inspired men to write this. So he's never going to go against this. And if we are going to go against this, then the Holy Ghost cannot do in our lives what he would do if we were lined up to it. So it's not that God is weakened tonight, but there are some things that God wants to do in your life, but he's saying, you've put up a roadblock there. He's saying, I want to bring you here. I want to make you more holy and bring you into the knowledge of my son and, and, and baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire to make you able to preach my gospel, to make you to be able to be a witness in this world. But there's something in your life that's stopping me to do that. And he's writing this church that is experiencing revival and saying, if you want the move of God to stop in your church right now, then quench the spirit. Then go against the word of God. Then be disinterested in the things of God because I will tell you disinterest in the things of God is one of the ways that we quench the spirit in our life. When we no longer de desire the things of him, there's no longer a drive inside of us that says I want to be more holy. I want to be more like him. I want more and more power to make me to be a better witness, to be able to preach his gospel, excuse me. But the number one quencher tonight is ultimately sin. If you want the move of God to stop in this church, if you want the move of God to stop in your life, then do some things that the Bible says you ought not to do. And you will find that whenever God wants to bless you, he's not able to bless you. Because why? Because there's something in your life that makes it him unable to do what he would do had that not been there. Not that he's any less powerful, but he's not going to go against his word. And if your life is not lined up to his word, he has no reason to come in and bless your life. 
Amen. Another one is, is whenever there is a lack of worship and whenever there is a lack of desire to worship him. You look at, you look at the life of Jesus. One of the only places that the Bible says he could do no miracle was in his hometown. Why? Because they had no desire to worship him and they had no desire for him to do miracles. And the Bible says he could do no miracle there. Why? Because they dishonored him in their heart. But I want First Pentecostal Church to be alive with the power of God. Amen. I don't want us to be a, a church where people say they hinder the spirit. <laughs> It used to be alive there, but now it's dead. I want us to be a people that are given to worship. I want us to be a people who are not quenching the work of the Spirit, that are not so, so determined to follow a schedule and, 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 and a script and, 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 and just old cliches of, of church going over and over and over and over again. But I want us to be a people who are alive with the fire of the Holy Ghost in our life. Because let me tell you, the fire of the Holy Ghost is evident. You can't fake it. And it's going to cause a reaction to come out of you. It, it will cause a reaction to come out of you. So if you look at your life and you say, I'm not reacting like a, a spirit-filled person should, that's probably a great in indicator that there's something going wrong right there. Amen. But the good news tonight is that no matter where you are, if you have allowed your fire to cool down, you're not as determined to live for, for God anymore, you're not as determined to have a desire towards the things of Him tonight, He can renew that in an instance. It only takes one moment in the presence of God. There is absolutely nothing else like that in the world. That one moment in the presence of God and all of a sudden the addict is delivered from drugs. All of a sudden families are put back together in an instant whenever God's power gets in there. We have what they're looking for, church. We have what this world needs and it's up to us to get it out there. But it cannot go out there if we are not a church that is on fire with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We need it now more than ever. Amen, because there's a law in science called the law, second law of thermodynamics. And you're like, what in the world are you about to teach us here, Seth? <laughs> but it simply just says that heat goes from a, 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 a place of high heat to a place of low heat. And say, what does that look like? Well, if you as a person, you need food to be able to keep going. <laughs> and if you don't eat food, you're not going to keep going very long. <laughs> if you don't put something in you, you're not going to be able to, to, to work and have an output <laughs> You know, if you're at home, if you're working outside in construction, if you're at home working in a flower garden or cleaning out the garage, you're going to get hungry after a while. And if you don't replenish yourself, you're not going to have any strength to carry forward. And Paul recognizes this here, and he's writing to them, these, these Thessalonians, and say, do not let the fire of God go out in your life. Don't allow yourself to become cold, because rest assured, if you do nothing with your spiritual life, you will always go cold. You will always go towards sin. You will not go towards the things of Christ. We, you have got to be intentional with your spiritual life. Amen. You've got to be intentional because it's true in the physical that things go from order to disorder. <laughs> that's, that's what the second law of thermodynamics teaches us. It goes from order to disorder. And if there's not anything that is feeding that flame or feeding that life or feeding that source and able and making it able for that body to keep functioning, it's going to start to not function after, why? after a while. Why? Because we're not doing anything. We're not, we're not putting anything in us that makes it able for God to be able to use us in this world. Amen. And I think a lot of times 
in churches, you can notice it right off the bat, which church is full of the Holy Ghost and not because of the worship that those people have. Because of the attitude that they bring into worship, into the, into the presence of God. If they're serious about being in the presence of God, they're not people that are looking for an excuse to not worship. They're looking for people for any reason whatsoever to give God praise and to give God glory. Because when you look at your life and you think that God only does, only does big things and, and he only does you know, these, these, these monumental things like giving people cars, <laughs> giving people houses, giving people millions of dollars, you're going to be disappointed whenever you come to church. Because church history, it shows that that's not a lot of times what happens whenever you come to church. <laughs> Amen. But if you're thankful for everything that God does in your life, you're going to be a person who's able to worship on the spot. When you remember and you wake up and you remember his, his mercies are new this morning. His grace is still sufficient. He is the joy of my salvation. Amen. He is my redeemer that liveth. Amen. We have got to be people that worship. Because a lot of times what happens is we become people who forget too quickly about what God has done for us. And we'll let the enemy get us down in our minds and in our hearts and get us discouraged about where we are at now. Instead of remembering the faithfulness of God that went on back then and bringing it into our situation right now. And we don't do that a lot of times. That's how the enemy gets in. I've been reading in the book of, of Joshua chapter 5. And it's talking about when Israel crosses the Jordan River into the promised land. Because now as Israel's crossing into the promised land, they got a new, they got a new leader by the name of Joshua, because Moses has died and God has raised him up a new leader to take him into the promised land, to lead them into the promise, promises of God, and his name is Joshua. Some fun, fun fact. <laughs> Didn't know how to put that exactly. But if you look at Joshua and you look at Jesus, just the names, they're the exact same one. The only reason they're different in your Bible is because Joshua is translated from Hebrew and Jesus is translated from Greek. But they all have, they both have the same name and they both mean the same thing. It means Jehovah saves. So we can look at that and we see that Jesus, Jehovah saves, leading the people into the promised land, did what Moses could never do. <laughs> what does Moses represent? Moses represents the law. Moses represents standards. And the law that condemns us, that shows us we're not able to be the people of God, now all of a sudden that law is done away with and a new leader rises up. <laughs> Jehovah saves to lead his people into the promised land. Amen. That's not my sermon tonight, but that didn't cost you nothing. <laughs> Amen. But Joshua, he's leading his people into the promised land. And they get to the Jordan River. And God says, I want you to take the priests. And I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. Let them carry the Ark of the Covenant into the river. And whenever they get there, the water's going to park. Just like I did for Moses. And they're going to walk across on dry ground. So that's what Joshua does. He gets the priests. He gets the Ark of the Covenant. And as soon as the priests step into the water, the waters roll back, just like they did for Moses. And God provides a way for Joshua and the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. But Joshua gets over on that other side and he says, hold on, we need to do something right here. And God speaks to Joshua and says, I want you to take 12 stones out of the bottom of that river and I want you to stack them up here and make me a monument. He says, I want you to choose 12 men one out of each tribe, one out of each of the 12 tribes. I want them to grab a stone, bring it out of the river, and stack up a monument. And so that's what they do. They bring those stones out of the bottom of that Jordan River where they walked across on dry land, and they make them a monument. And I think it's interesting that God uses something 
that was in the middle of their trial. God uses something that was in the middle of the Jordan that they would have never had access to had they not gone through it. Amen. And I believe that speaks to the trials that we experience in life is that whenever we go through trials, there is always something that the Lord wants to give us that we have on the other side of that trial. Amen. He says, I don't want you to go through things just simply to have you go through them. But everything I lead you through has a purpose. Everything I lead you through has a plan. And if you feel like you're in a trial tonight, just know that God has got a way out for you. God has got something that you can learn. God has got a plan for it and he's going to use it one day. Hallelujah. So they, they grab those stones up out of that Jordan River and they begin stacking them up, up on top of each other. And the purpose is so that when their children see that monument, they'll remember how God was faithful to them then. And they'll believe God to be faithful to them now. Amen. Hallelujah. I also think it's important to look at that each tribe was responsible for one of those rocks. Each tribe was responsible to bring one. Why do I think that? This is just me thinking out loud. This ain't necessarily scripture. This, this is just me reading the text and kind of my ideas and my thoughts about it. Because I believe when they got those stones out and they were stacking them on top of each other, God wanted every tribe to bring one because whenever they were going through something, God didn't want anybody that had an excuse to not believe he was faithful. <laughs> Amen. Because Judah could look back at that rock pile and say, I have a rock in there. And Issachar could look back at that rock pile and say, I got a rock in there. And Gad and Asher and Benjamin and Levi, everybody could look back and say, God was faithful then and God will be faithful now. And I think about the revivals that we've had at First Pentecostal Church, the ones that we've had like with Brother Robert Martin way back then. And let me tell you, we can make that a monument and believe that God was faithful then and God was working in that church then. And that same God that was working then is the same God that was working now. And I can look back there and say, I got a rock in that pile. I got a rock in that monument. I have an attachment to the promises of God there. I believe my family's got a rock in there. Amen. Mamaw Peggy, you got a rock in there. Nana, you got a rock in there. Amen. Brother and Sister Miller, you got a rock in there. You got a rock in that revival. Brother, Brother Daryl, you have a rock in that revival. And I just want to tell you that the same God that was faithful then is the same God that will be faithful now. And we don't need to be a people that forget that so easily. We don't need to be a people that are so quick to forget what God did in this church and what God can do in this church. But we need to look back and remember that we may be going through something right now. And my family may be in disarray right now. And my life may be in disarray right now. And I may be going through a trial and I may be going through a test but I got a monument that says my God is still faithful I got a monument that says my God still has power hallelujah hallelujah I'm thankful that I serve a God like that hallelujah can you come to the piano tonight hallelujah I feel like the enemy's trying to been trying to speak to people tonight and tell them that what they're going through is hopeless and tell them that the situation that they're in right now, there is no hope for it. Hallelujah. But I don't want us to be a people that forget so easily what God can do for us. Hallelujah. He's been faithful to me time and time again. When I didn't know what to do, God knew exactly what he was doing. Amen. So I wonder if there's anybody like that tonight as Brother Kirk begins to play. That you're facing something right now and the enemy's convinced you that it's hopeless. I wonder if you couldn't just stand to your feet right now and come down to this altar. We want to pray with you. Hallelujah. We don't want to give in to the, to the lies of the enemy. But we want to believe God's truth. We don't want to quench his spirit tonight. We don't want to believe that he can't do it. But we want him to have free reign to do whatever he wants to tonight. So if, you, if you're like that and you got something in your life, the enemy's tried to convince you that it's hopeless. But I want to tell you there is hope that 
this evening. There is hope tonight. Hallelujah. And it's in the name of Jesus. I wonder if you would come right now. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Hallelujah. We want to pray with you. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 